You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who, so you don't have to. I'm JR. And I'm Simon. And it's just the two of us because we've had to convene because there's been some big news. So we're recording an emergency news podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, quite. Mm. So the reason we're here, obviously, is because we don't do news on this podcast. But every now and again, there's a piece of news that's too big to ignore. And other other podcasts will have recorded and put their episodes out straight away. I'm looking at you, Shapansky. <laughs> but uh, we don't have that luxury. But here we are, 24 hours later. <clears throat> so we'll talk about the news and we'll talk about... Uh, we'll speculate a bit on what it might mean. And we'll talk about the people insofar as we can. But obviously we're talking about the BBC put out a photograph and a press release about the actual new TARDIS team because um, presumably they're about to start filming soon, I believe. So I'm assuming this is ahead of spoiler pictures that would have emerged from Mm. locations and stuff. I suspect that's why it's happened or why it's happened now. Obviously it was going to happen at some point. Um, so we've got Jodie Whittaker, as we already knew, and finally we've got a second picture with Jodie Whittaker in it, presumably uh, not in costume again, mm, no, but no. still with a similar haircut. Yes, that's interesting. Yeah, which means probably that. From the neck up, all the artists have got it right. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, but I mean, yeah, the important thing is not so much that the artists have got it right, but that's what she's going to essentially be looking like. Mm. I think, I'd imagine. Um, Bradley Walsh. (laughs) The news escaped and some people were very sceptical and a lot of people said, well, no, he's not actually done anything to deny this. And the story had the ring of truth about it in the first place. We talked about it on here, I think. Mm. And uh, I I think we were all in agreement that we thought it was probably true. And now it's confirmed, Bradley Walsh. In fact, the way... The news story went out. It looked like there will be four regulars across the entire series. And it also names a fifth person who is a returning role, it says, which means in uh, non-BBC press release jargon, means recurring. In Mm. other words, not in every episode, but in some, presumably. Um, Well... Of the cast members, there's only one whose work I know really well. Let's leave that for a minute. Mm. Let's, in the recurring role, that's Sharon D. Clark. Do you know Sharon D. Clark? No. No. Older woman, mm-hmm. been in quite a lot of stuff. I'm not sure if she's been like a regular or a lead, but she's an older woman. When I say older, I mean older than companion age. Mm. She's been in a lot of stuff, so she's got a lot of experience. I suspect, 
given that she's uh, recurring rather than regular, I suspect she's probably going to be playing a parent. So, uh, well, we'll get into this more in a minute. But yeah, yeah. I would imagine that of the other two companions who've been named are not Bradley Walsh, she could end up being the mother of one of them, if not both, which we'll perhaps get to in a minute. Possibly a wife? Well, yeah, it could be. It could be that she's Bradley Walsh's wife. could be that Bradley Walsh is the companion's stepdad. Ah, so I've just looked at a picture of her. And I know her from either Holby City or Casualty. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, fair enough. Very good. Was she going to be? Was she a regular in one of those then? Yes. Ah, right, she right. Knew she was a doctor. Okay, because I've not seen a great deal of either of those. Mm. I've seen bits and pieces, but no, you're a Hollyoaks man. <laughs> well, I'm not a Hollyoaks man. <laughs> I live in a Hollyoaks house, so I see a fair bit of Hollyoaks. <laughs> well, I tweeted, didn't I? Yeah. The other two are both alumni of Hollyoaks, both younger. Um, you've got, oh, and I don't know the pronunciations because I've never heard their names said, mm. Mm. you know, apart from their character names on screen. So you've got Mandit Gill. Mm. Let's go with Mandit Gill. Mm. Does Sounds that sound right. right? Yeah. As Yasmin and Tozin Cole. Shall we go with that? As Ryan. Okay. He's... I don't know if he's slightly older. He's slightly taller. I, th- If I remember rightly, because I've seen... I'm not a regular viewer of Hollyoaks, but I've seen <laughs> enough of it over the last sort of five or ten years. Mm. I think he was in it before she was, so that would put him as slightly older, mm. probably, because Hollyoaks is basically a YA thing. So the central cast in Hollyoaks tends to be teenagers. So if he was in it as a teenager three or four years before she was, Mm. then stands to reason he'd probably be three or four years older than she is. I should have looked at the ages on Wikipedia before I came out, shouldn't I? She was in it, in Hollyoaks, from about 2012 to about 2015, I think. Mm. Um, Him, I don't remember quite so well. I recognise him, I remember him being in it, but I don't remember quite so well. Her, I remember very distinctly. Mm. She came in, I think she came into Hollyoaks as a character who'd been on the streets. He was kind of adopted by one of the Hollyoaks families. And then she had a storyline where her past sort of caught up with her. Mm. Not in a sort of, oh, drug dealers are after her sort of sense, but in a she couldn't escape emotionally what had happened to her. And um, the way she left the series was, I, if I remember rightly, I think she ran off with somebody else who'd also been on the streets and they went to start a new life somewhere else. She didn't have the best of storylines. She started well, but then she was one of those characters that they kept giving victim parts to. Mm, mm. So she ended up being... Um, she she ended up being a character who was downtrodden, mm. but the actress she's an exceptionally good actress, and she's very engaging. And when she did have, she's quite striking looking as well, isn't she? Oh, she's beautiful, yeah, mm. and mm. yeah, yeah, very striking. Um, but also when she got the opportunities to play happy or to play um, 
to to play a more charismatic side to the character, mm. she was just really oh, what's the word? The word's not cute, but mm. she really had a, an aura about her that attracted you to the character, mm. yeah. attracted you to the actress. Mm. I don't mean attracted so it, it in a sexual a sense. No, no, a warmth. Yeah, warmth, definitely a warmth. Mm. And that is, I am assuming, something that will be brought out a lot more in Doctor Who. Mm. <clears throat> so I'm assuming that even though this is now like five years on from her in Hollyoaks, she'll still be playing late teens or early 20s. Mm. And I'm assuming Tozin Cole, or however you pronounce it, the guy who's playing Ryan, is going to play maybe a couple of years older. Oh, now he's black and she's Asian. Mm. Ish. They're both English, but, and also, um, Sharon D. Clark, black. Mm. So, oh, there's obviously been a backlash about this. I've not seen any comments that oh, anybody's made dear, anywhere on dear, the internet. Dear, dear. I've right. not seen any comments that anybody's made, yeah. apart from two, which both said, oh, the backlash, what a surprise. <laughs> so, even though I've not seen it, yeah. there's obviously been a backlash. Mm. Probably about, oh, um, BBC ethnic casting, political yeah. correctness, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you've got a white doctor, Bradley Walsh is a white older guy. Older guy, yeah. A black guy and an Asian girl. Yeah. Black guy and an Asian girl. I, and also the potentially mother character, black. Well, that's if she's playing human. Yeah. In, or any of them. Well, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, but no, I look at it and what I think is either brother and sister or go to college together mm. or work together or I don't know. Something to me says. Unless the students and Graham is the uh, <clears throat> tutor or tutor teacher. Uh, but when I, when you look at them, you just think, right, there's some connection between the two younger ones mm. and Probably the older woman plays a parent mm. or maybe an authority figure somewhere in their lives. And probably Bradley Walsh also. Who knows? She might be the mother. He might be a stepfather. They might be brother and sister from different marriages, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. All four of them could essentially be related mm. or potentially none of the four of them could be related. But it makes more sense to me that they would be because otherwise yeah. you're just literally throwing four disparate people together yeah. for no real apparent sort of emotional reason. Mm. And I think you have to have an emotional connection mm. in order that the doctor can come into their lives. Yeah, and you have the push and the pull of the tension. So there's got yeah. to be that link, isn't there? You've yeah. got to have something so that the doctor comes into their lives and turns their lives upside down. Mm. Like Rory and Amy. Mm. Doctor turns up, turns their lives upside down. And then the story in series five, as we were talking about last week, but people listening won't hear about till next week when the podcast we recorded last week goes out after this. Um, yeah, Rory and Amy, it was the story of how they got back together again after they got together and then the doctor had turned up and turned their lives upside down. Mm. So I don't know. I look at these people and think that's going to be what's happening here i don't know i think what's most exciting is i just don't actually know and i don't think i can second guess any any of it really no maybe not i i just don't know i just looked at the picture and that was my instant thought yeah yeah these people it makes sense mm. but no as i was looking about um thinking about sharon's um is it sharon the other lady yeah sharon clark sharon clark um you know whether she she could play some 
you know, because we don't know how these episodes are going to pan out, whether it's going to be one one big story or whether they're going to be separate little, you know, mm. bubble stories. Well, come to our, we'll talk about that. But if it's going, she's going to be a recurring character, obviously there is going to be some kind of arc in there. So, you know, she could be an alien character that they kind of keep coming back to, you know, to get them back to Earth or something like that. Who knows? Well, yeah. Or she could be the voice of the TARDIS. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's no reason after something like the Sarah Jane Adventures, and I guess... Um, she could be Gallifrey. What was the... Uh, blanked on the name of it. What was the animation with Richard E. Grant? Scream of the Shalker. Scream of the Shalker, yeah. Where it had the master, a robot master, with the master's um, soul or intelligence or whatever inside this robot, and kind of interfacing with the TARDIS. mm and then in Sarah Jane Adventures, you had Mr. Smith, who was the computer in the attic. Yeah. What if Chris Chibnall has this Sharon D. Clark as the TARDIS interface? And the TARDIS is Zen. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, a living computer TARDIS thing that... That's actually quite exciting. Who knows what's going to happen? All the Doctor's Wife fans will balk at that. <clears throat> well, maybe or maybe not, because... <laughs> The Doctor's wife never actually said that the TARDIS was alive. No. It downloaded the TARDIS's memory banks mm. into a person. Mm. And the reason the person had their quirks and eccentricities was because there was a, a human being essentially there too mm. with the TARDIS's intelligence in it. But that didn't mean the TARDIS itself was alive. No. It left it ambiguous. Who knows? Mm. Mm. Anything could happen. Really excited to see it. In the next 50 minutes. Well, well, we'll get to that. Okay. But the team, I think it looks like a great team. Mm. When Series 1 and all the bits and pieces of news were coming out about Series 1 and they said Christopher Eccleston and people said, what, Christopher Eccleston as a Doctor? And I thought, yeah, because he's different to what's gone before, but he can produce something that gets the series back on track. And then when Billy Piper's name started to get associated with it and people were going, but she's just a pop star. And I was thinking, no, she's not just a pop star. She is the perfect complement to Christopher Eccleston because they could not be more different. And sticking two people together who could not be more different and finding the things they've got in common makes a much more interesting story than putting two people who are exactly the same as one another in a room Mm. and them not having anything to say to one another. Mm. <clears throat> and I look at these four people in this picture that's been put out by the BBC, and I'm thinking Jodie Whittaker and Bradley Walsh and Tozin Cole, or however you pronounce it, and Mandic Gill. Mm. They look like four very different people, and it's going to be much more interesting to see mm. how those four characters work, how those four actors work with each other, how those four characters, you know, rub up against each other and rub off on each other and mm, see mm. all these things happening. That's going to be... I mean, we look at the way that Chris Chibnall's written before. He does he does deal with a, what do you call it? Ensemble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So these stories could well, uh, you know, rather than just having two situations that you keep going back and back and forth from, they, <clears throat> they could all be split up completely. Oh yeah, and yeah. have their own individual scenes of all these things that are happening at the same time, and I don't think we've seen that. 
Not for a while. Not to that level. Do yeah, but not with four different people. No, and that could, and that could easily happen with what the other things that we're going to talk about in a minute. Mm, okay. The sort of logistical things we're going to talk about in a minute, I guess. Um, yeah, and I mean, I was saying as soon as Chris Chibnall was announced, I was saying, I think I'm pretty sure I said it on the podcast too. I thought there was going to be a bigger TARDIS team, mm. and that you know, because you look at. Because I don't think there's many clues in his previous Doctor Who stuff, but I think Dinosaurs on the Spaceship and The Power of Three mm. are more Chris Chibnall than, say, 42 or The Hungry Earth. Yeah. Mm. And there, he's got the Doctor with a team in mm. both of those stories, essentially. I mean, in Power of Three, you've got not just Rory and Amy and Rory's dad, but you've also got the Brigadier's daughter, right? Mm. Mm. So you've actually got a team of five people working in that episode. Mm. I I thought that was a clue as to what his Doctor Who might be like. The other one being, I think his Doctor Who will be like Broadchurch. Stories about um, <clears throat> communities rent asunder by alien invasion or whatever. But I, you look at Broadchurch and that's about a community. Mm. And it's about... It, it's about the death of a kid, but essentially it's about the people in that community and how something stressful makes some of them fight amongst themselves or makes other ones grow closer to one another. And this is, I think, what his Doctor Who will be. Mm. And I think another, I, th- I think you did see this in all four of those episodes, all four of those stories rather that he wrote previously in Doctor Who. 42 had it. And um The Hungry Earth certainly had it. Mm. And it's there in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship to a lesser degree because you only have the team. And it's there in The Power of Three because of the nature of the story to mm. an extent. I think this is what his Doctor Who was going to be. And now we've seen the picture of this team. This is just confirming, you know, it's, it's already, as far as it can do. I mean, it couldn't be any more distinctive, but it... It's another sign of it being distinctive from any other era. Well, somebody has said, somebody who's on the inside, but um, not working on it, but in a position to know, has said this is going to be a bigger reinvention of Doctor Who than, I can't remember the example they gave, but I think the example they gave was Rose. Okay. So this is going to be a huge reinvention of Doctor Who and the format. Mm. So let's talk about the format, shall we? So, we're changing the theme tune. <laughs> they have said in this press release that, well, here's the quote, the new series will consist of a 10-week run, so it's 10 rather than 12, of 50-minute episodes uh, in autumn 2018, kicking off with an hour-length episode as the premiere. Mm. So, we're talking, well, the rumour was that it was going to be 10 60-minute episodes. And I don't know whether I said on the podcast or just on my uh, social media, I said I never thought it was going to be 60-minute episodes because Doctor Who is, well, as I heard today, three-quarters paid for by BBC Worldwide. And it's also partly paid for by BBC America. And it's made independently of the BBC now, BBC Studios. I'm sure I've talked about all this before. Mm -hmm. It's got to be made with an eye on the international market and selling to markets that place advertisements in television. 
So I never thought it was going to be 60 minutes. You can have an odd episode at 60 minutes. 50 minutes. <clears throat> right, Simon, I'm not sure if you know the expression international version. Right. Every time they make an episode of Doctor Who, mm. they make a domestic version, mm. which is whatever the episode is, 48 minutes or 43 minutes or 60 minutes for a Christmas special or in the case of Deep Breath, 75 minutes. Mm. And they also make an international version, which is a version of that story that is edited to 43, 44 minutes that can be sold internationally to markets that aren't as fussed as we are or as maybe Canada are, mm. about getting the whole thing, but are, find it more important to have a regular hour-long slot with 15 minutes worth of commercials. Mm. So Deep Breath, even, at an hour and a quarter, also exists in a version that's half an hour shorter, where adverts can be placed in it to take it up to 50, wow. 60 minutes. Actually, you look at Deep Breath, and it's not that difficult to cut half an no, hour. No, I was thinking that, yeah. <laughs> But the point being, even with episodes like The Fires of Pompeii, which came in at 48 minutes, there is an international version of that that has about five minutes worth of stuff taken out. Mm. If you make 10, 50-minute episodes, it's easier to trim five minutes to make an international version, which I'm assuming they will continue to do, Mm. than it would be if you had a 60-minute version and then people had to decide whether to stick it in an hour and 20-minute slot or whether to actually cut 15 minutes, a whole quarter of the episode, every week. Easier to cut 15 minutes every now and again than it is every week. Mm. So I suspect that it's going to be 10, 50-minute versions here and 10, 45-minute versions in places like China, mm. maybe Germany, places like that. It was essentially the same format as Broadchurch then, isn't it? The... Broadchurch was 8.45s. Right. Because obviously Broadchurch was in an hour slot, but had adverts. Mm. So it was actually 44, 45-minute episodes, and eight of them. Mm. So this would be 10. I'd be interested to see some of these international versions, because I do wonder mm. whether they would they show them on be more punchy. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. Um, because obviously Watch has adverts. Watch will vary between showing the full version and sticking in a slot that's long enough to show the full version. And Watch will sometimes show the um, international versions. And in fact, I watched um, World War Three on Watch this week. Mm. And um, despite the fact that it obviously wasn't too long, no next time trailer on Watch. Ah, yeah. So you don't get that, apparently. Well, it didn't have one in this episode, so I'm assuming that's standard because mm. it was a short episode anyway, so there's no other reason for him to take it out. But I'm assuming as a standard on watch, there's no next time trailer. Mm. So I don't know. There are, you know, you go out in the world and you look around and there's various different versions of these episodes. You know, the version we get on the Blu-rays and DVDs and on the telly ain't necessarily the standard for everybody. But as for... Whether that means it's going to be one story across 10 weeks or whether it's going to be 10 different stories or whether it'll be essentially 10 different stories with an arc running through it. Yeah. Who knows? I, I think that was more likely because I don't, I don't know whether with Doctor Who weather, say watching the new Star Trek series, you know, at the moment I'm up to episode five on it and it's been the Klingons all the way. 
Mm. Whereas with Doctor Who, could they stick with the same enemy oh. all the way? Or would it be a... I don't know if you are here on the episode, but I said um, a few weeks ago, if you were going to do a 10-week-long story or whatever in Doctor Who, and I gave... The, the example I gave is not what you would do, but the example I gave is something that you could do. Mm. And I said, you'd start with an episode. I, I said, you could start with an episode that was essentially standalone. And at some point in that episode, something comes up and the doctor says, Oh, Einstein would have done that. Or, you know, Isaac Newton wouldn't have said that. Mm. Whatever. Mention mm. somebody really famous from history. And the companion says, Who? Mm. And the doctor says, You must have heard of Einstein. And the companion says, No. And so you get to the end of this sort of standalone introductory episode that essentially is there to introduce you to the characters. And the Doctor says, right, let's get to the bottom of this Einstein thing. And the rest of the companions say this who thing. Mm. And the Doctor says, come on, one of you must have heard of Einstein. And they all say, no. Mm. So the Doctor goes on Google to discover... Einstein's been completely removed from history. Like as if the Weeping Angels, the cracks in time rather, in the Weeping Angels two-parter mm. removed him from history. Mm. So then the objective becomes for the Doctor to find out how and by whom Einstein's been taken out of history and with what consequence. Mm. So then you get an episode where the Doctor goes forwards in time to see if things have changed and you get an adventure in the future where the Doctor goes backwards in time to try and discover how it happened, so you get an adventure in history. The Doctor goes into outer space when he starts getting clues about who might have done it, mm. so you get an adventure on an alien planet, and so on and so forth. And gradually, you fill up ten episodes with a sort of quest for the Doctor to discover what's happened to Einstein each week, he picks up clues that take him closer to discovering by whom mm. and how it's happened and why, until finally in the final episode, you've got the confrontation and Doctor puts things straight. Mm. But along the way, each week, you have a potential for an episode that either takes the story forwards or else they go somewhere to do something and get caught up in something else and pick up a couple of clues along the way. Mm -hmm. So you get the best of both worlds. You get a story that lasts for 10 weeks, but that also has, you know, a place in there for, say, four or five episodes that aren't really connected, but still move the story forward just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm giving that as an example that patently isn't going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm just giving that as an example of how you could write a story that still has episodes in the past, in the future, in outer space, and that still has episodes that basically stand alone, but they're mixed in and you never know from one week to the next whether you're going to get an episode that takes the central story forward or that goes off and plays a, a standalone story at a tangent for a week. Mm. You see what I mean? Mm. It's, you, you can thread it as opposed to, yeah. Yeah, so it's not really an arc in the same way as the cracks turning up has been an arc. It is an actual story across yeah, ten it's weeks. Yeah, key, key to time type. But yeah, but it's the room the is there for yeah. separate adventures. Mm. Not that difficult to do because I just thought of that off the top of my head. Mm. You know, the week we were recording a few weeks ago when we talked about it. Mm. 
So I'm sure there are far more clever ways it could be done, but but it's there to be done. If that's what Chris Chibnall wants to do, and the move to 10 episodes suggests to me that maybe these rumours that it's going to be one story across 10 episodes might be right, because it's, you know, it's a little bit easier to do that with 10 episodes than it is with 12 or 13, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's possible. And I would say, given the setup with three companions and another regular character... I think that points towards it perhaps being just a little bit more likely. Mm. Because if you've got four regular people in the TARDIS and you've got to find things for those four people to do every week with a new story every week, that's not as easy as giving them a continuing story and giving each of those characters a thread somewhere in that story. So equally, though, that, that kind of relies, or does it? Does it rely on appointment TV? You know, is, is he going to create Doctor Who as appointment TV? Well, that's the idea. That's what the BBC are paying him for. Okay. That's, uh, well, I say that. Nobody actually knows BBC are paying him because he had a big success with Broadchurch. Mm. But he went to them and said, this is how I would want to do it. And initially... Again, again, that comes back to the timing of when it's going to be put out, though. If it's Sunday evening, then yes, absolutely. Right. Well, this is... Another thing that we were going to... Let's come to that in a minute. Okay. No, actually, let's do that now then. Yes, I think there's a very good chance it might move to Sundays. Possibly another day in the week. I think Sunday is the most likely day. Sunday lineup is a really strong lineup. Saturday's lineup has now become woolly. Because mm. people, other than in the autumn when Strictly and X Factor are on, and even those, the audiences are way down. But other than in the autumn, when it's colder anyway, and when people are saving money because Christmas is coming up, Saturday night family viewing has disappeared again. Mm. It came back in 2005. It wasn't just Doctor Who. It was things like Strictly as well, mm. and the Simon Cowell programs as well. Mm. Saturday night viewing, 12 years ago, became a thing, and now it's gone away again. You know, not completely, but mm. but Sunday night, on the other hand... And I'm, I've said this before as well. Sunday night is the night when everybody stays in and watches the telly because they've either got school or work or whatever the following day. And, you know, you don't go out on the night before you're due back at work or school. You stay in, but you need a distraction. And this is why TV is strong on Sunday nights because people would rather plonk themselves in front of the telly and be distracted than think about the fact that they're going back to work. Well, if indeed this is what's happening, I mean, this is what's so clever about Dot Two format is flexible to do that. So it's like, it's not like it was where you had this show where they didn't quite know what to do with it. You know, it was losing viewers on a Saturday. So what do we do? For the last four stick or five it in the week. years, yeah. Yeah, because they didn't really know what oh, to do. Oh, back in the 80s. Back in the yeah, 80s, yeah. yeah. But it's not the same situation. But they stuck but, it in a soap opera slot, yeah. which is what... I mean, it's lasted, it survived in that soap opera slot for, you know, a while. Mm. But that wasn't a good slot for it. It wasn't the right slot for Doctor Who. No. But this, if Doctor Who becomes the thing that thrives on a Sunday evening, well, the way it then has, why not? Yeah, if the way it has thrived on a Saturday night as part of that weekend thing, mm. you don't lose the weekend thing by sticking it on a Sunday. But what you do is you stick it in as part of the lineup that people glue themselves in front of the telly for. Mm. Mm. And that lineup is already strong and putting Doctor Who in somewhere around the sort of six or seven o'clock mark. Mm. 
Because there's a bit of flexibility in that lineup. You've got things like Country Watch or Country File or whatever it's called. Country File? Mm. Mm. And various other programs. It's the Antiques Roadshow Night nowadays as well. I yeah, think. yeah. Yeah. Usually be a period drama or something like that, wouldn't it, as well? And Yeah. So there's mm. room to shuffle things around. The incredibly savvy thing, thing to do, I think. I think so, yeah. <clears throat> what was the other uh, thing we were going to say about that? Well, I mean, this wasn't asked because we were doing the podcast, but I said I'd answer it on the podcast. Aaron Funnel asked me on Facebook, do you think it is budgetary reasons that's led to the reduction in episodes, or do you think there's some truth in the rumour of the whole series being a single story? And I said, well, I think there might be other reasons as well or instead budgetary i suspect that between the bbc bbc worldwide and bbc america if they were desperate to have 12 13 14 episodes a year they'd stump up the money for it Mm. they might not necessarily want to and as the last few years have proven they seem to prefer a full series every 18 months model because despite what people think, the showrunner doesn't say, I'm going to make 12 episodes every 18 months and you can stick it if you want more BBC. The BBC and BBC Worldwide and BBC America and the showrunner, between the four of them, come to these decisions. It's possible that we'll get 10 episodes once every 18 months. I think getting 10 episodes makes it more likely that it'll be once a year. And if they find an autumn Sunday night slot for Doctor Who that's a real success, they'll want to keep that autumn Sunday night slot, right? Mm. So I think budget is not as big a factor as looking at Doctor Who and saying, right, not let's start from scratch, but in a way, let's look at it from a completely different angle. And say, right, if we were starting from scratch, what might we do? Mm. So instead of saying, well, it's got to be 13 or 12 that it's reduced to, because that's how it's always been. Instead of saying, let's have a look at what it's always been. Let's have a look at what we would do if we were starting it now. Mm. And most series these days tend to be eight or ten episodes. That's kind of the standard. And if you look at things like the example I can think of is Spooks. Spooks started off with a six, then it went up to eight, then it went up to ten, then it went back down to eight, and then it went back up to ten. In other words, across the ten series that I think it had, it had three different lengths, and it changed about every two or three years. Mm. Series don't always maintain the same number of episodes. I don't know, but I suspect if you looked at... um, Things like um, Game of Thrones or whatever, you wouldn't necessarily always get the same number of episodes, Walking Dead, every year with those. So you make the number of episodes that's right for the story you want to tell. Mm. And despite Doctor Who being lots of different stories, I think that still also holds because you might not necessarily, you might not necessarily want to tell as many different stories. I'm also wondering when it's going to be transmitted as well. They might look at dates and see how the weeks lead up to 
Christmas mm. or something like that, you know, it may well... Well, it could be that it starts at the beginning of October and they want it to finish at the start of December. And yeah. Ten weeks would run you from the start of October to the start of December, more or less. Mm. Yeah, that's also another factor. But I think the biggest factor is, yeah, they've looked at Doctor Who, said, right, let's throw everything we know about what we think works about Doctor Who out the window and ask ourselves what we think would work if we were starting from scratch now. I think it's that. Mm more than anything. Mm. And obviously all these heads are involved worldwide, BBC America, the BBC, Chris Chibnall, and they've all had a conversation about it. And this is the solution that they've come to. People are saying that's two fewer episodes a year and five minutes more only actually makes up for one of those. If it's two fewer episodes a series, if you get the series more frequently, that actually still makes it on average more episodes a year, right? Yeah. So I don't think there can be really a complaint on that count, at least until we know whether it's going to be annually or every 18 months. I'm still in the camp that says they're making Doctor Who, that's what matters. Yes. I said that earlier today on Twitter. Somebody said, you know, asked a question, and I Mm. said, look, it might only be 10 episodes, whatever. might be 10 episodes every year, so we'll actually have more episodes than we've been having on average Mm. over Mm. the last few years. Either way, it's still 10 episodes of Doctor Who, and 15 years ago, you know... It's like my daughter walking in, and you give her a fun-sized Mars bar or something like that, and she says, but it's only a fun-sized one. And I say, but you're having chocolate in the middle of the day? (laughs) Yeah, it's either a fun-sized Mars bar or nothing at all, so just be grateful you've got chocolate in Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And obviously the... I mean, obviously we don't want the programme to be terrible, you know, badly made or anything like that, but it's not... That's not going to be the case, is it? Let's face it. Yeah. And you don't actually say to somebody, just be grateful you're getting Doctor Who. No. Because obviously the BBC aren't making Doctor Who so that we can be grateful to be getting it. Yeah. They're making Doctor Who because they want to make a great programme that lots of people will enjoy and that will sell widely internationally. Mm. So they're not making it to sort of... They're not saying we can't be bothered to make 12 episodes. No, it's a choice. They've made a choice, a story choice or a character-driven choice or um, a decision about the time slot, like you say. Yeah, or actors being available, possibly. Well, this is another thing I thought. Maybe Bradley Walsh's agent. I'm not suggesting for a minute this is true, but it's possible they said we want Bradley Walsh and we want him as a companion throughout the entire thing. And Bradley Walsh said, yeah, I'd love to. And his agent said, well, you can have him for seven months, but he's got to do the chase in between. And they said, seven months, that only gives us time to do 10 episodes. And his Mm. agent said, well, that's it, 10 episodes or nothing. And they said, fine, okay, we'd rather have 10 episodes with Bradley Walsh Mm. than 12 episodes without him or whatever. I'm not saying for a minute that's what happened and that's the reason why. But these are factors. Mm. Things like this can be factors. I'm trying to think how many episodes there are in, the, in your standard Netflix binge-watching series now. That must be about ten. I think they're eights and tens. Eights and tens, yeah. Yeah, so it makes sense. So. It's the, I, you've got people who sit down and eat, watch these in one, one sitting, don't you? So, Yeah, so while Chris Chibnall might be planning on making this appointment TV, he's not actually said this. This is an assumption that people are making after what happened with Broadchurch and the way he spoke about Broadchurch and how it worked. People are sort of assuming this, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the case. But even if it is the case, there are still going to be people who will just watch it afterwards, Mm. because that's just the way the world is now. You know, on a side tangent, 
I was listening to something the other day. I can't remember where it was. And somebody was asking the question, if, <clears throat> if you've got, um, much lower viewing figures on Saturday nights, what are people doing on Saturday nights? Are they going out? Are they doing something else entirely? And I th- thought to myself, well, no, you know the answer to that. This is the Netflix generation. On a Saturday night, they're not watching live TV because they're watching all the stuff they've recorded through the week to watch on Saturday night. Mm. So, you know, they're watching something they recorded on Monday. Mm. They're watching something they recorded on Wednesday or are downloading from iPlayer or Netflix or whatever. They're saving up the things they want to watch for a Saturday night. Mm. And so BBC's biggest audience on a Saturday night when Doctor Who was on last year, as often as not, was 4 million people. Which doesn't mean that there's 12 million people who are not watching telly. It just means that there's 12 million people who are watching telly on catch-up. Mm. And that's what people do. Mm. It's like, um, you know, for a while, computer games. I mean, computer games are still massive. But nowadays, people seem to have sort of train themselves to play a game while they're watching telly. The same way as they'll be on Twitter while they're watching telly. Mm. That's just the way people do it now. Mm. But for a while, a lot of the TV audience disappeared because those people were playing games instead. Nowadays, in the boxer generation, that's what people are doing on Saturday nights. They're doing four episodes of Daredevil or whatever. You know, you stick Daredevil on or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Mm. And you get to the end of a 40-minute episode and you're thinking that wasn't enough. Yeah. So you stick the next one on. And then there's a cliffhanger that says you've got to watch the next one. Before you know it, you've watched four or five episodes and that's taken up your whole evening. Mm. And it's not a massive evening because you do four or five episodes in three hours, right? Mm. So that's taken up three <laughs> hours of your evening. But that's why people aren't watching The X Factor mm. in the numbers they were. And it's why people aren't watching, you know, the, there are all sorts of reasons. But the the Saturday night in front of live telly audience is gone, and that's where it's gone to. Mm. So there will still be people who do Doctor Who like that, but you move it to Sunday night, which is a night where fewer people are doing their binge-watching catch-up because they've done that on Saturday. Mm. You know, I'm I'm generalising about things that are unique to every individual who does it. But I... I think there's a case to be made for the fact that the reason Saturday night audiences are down is for the reason I've said. And the reason that Sunday night audiences aren't down as much is because fewer people are doing that on Sundays. And Sunday night is a night for TV to relax into a distraction rather than a focus. Mm. Mm. And something like Doctor something like the reason why Broadchurch worked, it was out on Mondays which and I've spoken about this before, but I'm repeating a lot of stuff in this podcast, but never mind. Monday nights, you've just spent one day at work or school or whatever, college, and you've still got the week ahead of you. So it feels like a Sunday night, but it also feels like a weeknight. Monday night is the one night of the week that's sort of caught in between the weekend, weeknight mm. sort of cycle. Monday evenings, is all, I'm always getting over that first day back to work. Exactly. And what better way to get over than something like Broadchurch that absolutely takes up your attention. Mm. So Broadchurch worked perfectly on Mondays. 
And I think Doctor Who would work better on Sundays as the last thing before the start of the working week, mm. rather than because of the because it still has that sci-fi element. Mm. And I think the murder mystery element of Broadchurch is what made the distraction for a Monday, whereas the sci-fi thing I think would work better on still in the weekend, mm. so on a Sunday. Mm. I don't know. We'll see. Um, <clears throat> have we done everything that we needed to do? I think we have. Mm. Have you got anything else to say about this? No, no, other than that, I did, well, no, like I said earlier, I don't really know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not spending an awful amount of time trying to second guess it. No, I don't think there's any need to do that. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. Obviously talking about it, but I don't, I don't think you can second guess it exactly what he's going to do. And if it's going to be a completely different animal, then yeah, it's great. It's, it's, yeah. I'm just the kind of person who look at something yeah. and see it. Yeah, no, I, I... And I don't necessarily always see the right thing, mm. but sometimes I do. Mm. And, uh, you know, I just looked at these things and this is what I saw. Yeah. So I thought might as well talk about it on the podcast and who knows. If in a year's time it turns out I was completely wrong, people can point a finger at me and laugh if they want. Mm. But I looked at it and these were the things I saw and I thought let's get together and talk about it. Right then, next week we will, and there will be five of us doing this, we will be talking about the listeners poll for our top ten new series seasons. Yes. Uh, which we recorded last week. I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out my votes for the classic series. I, I just can't. I find it very difficult. Well, hurry up, because we're recording that next week. Oh, okay. All right. So next week... New series, week after probably, classic series. Until then, I was JR. And I was Simon. And we'll speak again soon. 